So welcome everyone to Glued TV's CTV Musings. Our guest today is Ian Greenblatt, the Managing Director of Technology and Media Telecommunications Intelligence at J.D. Power. Ian leads J.D. Power's technology, media, and telecommunications intelligence, including a new IoT sub-practice. ton of industry ex- expertise. You drive market strategy across rapidly converging landscape, encompassing the entire communications sector. Champion of the voice of the customer is what J.D. Power does. Industry players of all sizes, your goal is to deliver actionable insights to clients so they can delight their customers at every opportunity. I love that write-up. So you had your own consulting practice for a little bit where you provided strategy and board of directors guidance to public companies. You served as the VP of strategy and business development at Aris and was responsible for content strategy and biz dev at Motorola Mobility, division of Google. You're a serial entrepreneur, launched a couple startups, including Zetu and Broadbus, love it. And you had your bachelor's degree from Northwestern University, which was my safety school. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And uh, Juris Doctor from DePaul College of Law. Love it. So welcome, Ian. Glad you you made the time for it today. Yeah. Tell us a high level about your role, what J.D. Power is doing. Sure. So as you said, my name is Ian Greenblatt. I lead the TMT business at J.D. Power. That's a mouthful. Technology, media, and telecommunications intelligence. Barely fits on a business card. Truly what it means is we cover the wireless and wireline industries and the technology companies that are the glue between them. We focus on gathering the voice of the customer and amplifying it and repeating it back to the companies they choose to or not to do business with. We're here to help improve the experience of all customers with all of their, well, in in this ring, right, TMT, businesses they do business with. J.D. Power across a a number of verticals, finance, insurance, you may have heard us in auto, but our vertical primarily focuses on MNOs, that's mobile network operators, guys like AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile, U.S. Cellular, um, wire line operators, broadband operators, like a Comcast, a Charter Spectrum, an Altis, et cetera, Cox Communications. And then the technology companies, you know, traditional fan companies and the Cisco's of the worlds and that sort of folks. But that's what we do in a nutshell. I come to this from being, you mentioned it, a serial entrepreneur. I always knew there was something on this thing for that thing. I started in video on demand. I think we we chatted about that in the pre-show. We both go back to the early days of video on demand. I knew I would always be able to watch what I wanted to watch, where I wanted to watch it, on what I wanted to watch it on. I just didn't know how all that was going to shake out. I did over-the-top television before there was over-the-top television, launched before Hulu, grew from uh, about half a million to just under 5 million subs in in, uh, Europe, and started in Switzerland of all places. And I've had a great opportunity to be at the intersection of technology and entertainment for a number of years, probably a a really larger than I'd, uh, I'd expect number of years. And it's been a tremendously cool spot to be in because it's always appealed to both the content nerd, as you pointed out, I was matriculated from Northwestern. I actually got a degree in film at Northwestern, as well as the inner nerd in me, because I've always been a technologist and I I love uh, the blinky lights and shiny knobs. And uh, that's always been a good part of it. So I'm well positioned in that I get to assist executive leaders of the kind of companies we just talked about improve the experience at every step along the way for customers. And again, find that delight 
provide that delight because we're often quoted saying is it's never a bad idea to take every opportunity to delight your customer. Sounds awesome. So it's interesting while you were chatting, while you were talking, I was thinking about back in the day with linear TV, with cable, we used to talk about bundling and how consumers are going to want, if I only want these nine channels, I'm going to hit my cable operator and tell them I only want these nine channels. That's what was happening back then. Now, Obviously, it's all about video on demand and streaming capability and, and being a subscriber. So as we, we're watching the transformation of television right now from linear, I don't want to say from linear to streaming because right. linear will always be around. It's just going to be a question of how consumers are consuming content, right? So what are you seeing as it relates to how people are consuming TV, whether it's linear is it a combination? I think it is. But what's your perspective there? Not unlike many of the companies we cover, it changes every five years. And it's a completely, right. different, it's a completely different experience. You couldn't be more right. I love the way you put linear isn't gone. It's, it's changing. And it'll always be here. Will it always be here? I don't know. It'll probably be here as long as the, as the ice caps, which should have been funnier. About. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But, but at any rate, uh, no, linear television, obviously changing in, its, in both its mix and its, its deployment. It's not niche yet, but could ultimately be. Consumers are consuming the content they want in the silos they want, on the devices and in locations they want. And it's less of a, well, that's kind of an odd thing to do. And more a, well, of course, you would just take the opportunity that you can to watch what you want to watch, when you want to watch it, where you want to watch it, on whatever device you want to watch it on, on whatever access network you want to watch it on, at whatever time or location you want to watch it on. Interacting with the content you choose, that, that's the real difference. For our provider friends, the real difference is, of course, what creates value in programming. It used to be scarcity. That's less the case now. And now, again, we've, we've locked Cinderella back in the castle or in the vault, as it were. And the silos have, have gone back up and finding the content you're looking for is a little more difficult. Although not really, because federated search has come such a long way and is, is so excellently done now. If you take a look at, for example, Xfinity X1 platform, that federated searches couldn't be easier. It's the stickiest feature they have. Consumers absolutely love it. it makes it very hard to give up. So that, no, I think finding the repeatable audiences, because if we recall, that's also what creates value in content is the audience that is repeatable and definable that is represented by that particular piece of content. We continue to do that as the ad supported model for prime, air quotes, primetime content sort of fades a little bit and we're back onto a single revenue stream kind of offering in, in the major silos. There will, of course, be, I think, not a backswing, but a, a, a nostalgia swing for advertising as it was. And I think there continues to be amazing opportunity and exciting times ahead for addressable, probably led through fast TV channels, not unlike glued. Right, right. Talk about the platforms themselves, right? So, so the pandemic gave everybody just this incredible boost, right? Because everybody was sampling and testing and subscribing. Talk about where the platforms go from here. Is there going to be, there's talk of consolidation. Give your perspective there. Sure. Well, there necessarily has to be consolidation. And there always is. If you look at the history of broadcast, if you look at the history of cable, 
the entertainment industry, the content industry writ large, we, we always come together. And then there's the next coming together. And then there's the next coming together. And then pieces that didn't work in the particular puzzle get broken up and reshuffled and a new picture emerges. Take a look at what AT&T is doing. It's refining its core business and paying closer attention to what it does exceedingly well. And what wasn't core is now moved off to another, another way of executing that business, which I think will be more successful ultimately. There has to be consolidation. There just has to be. Now, these are big markets that we're talking about. These are big players that we're talking about. You know, Netflix, you know, over 200 and well, it depends on the day, I suppose, 215 million subs. The cash flow represented by 215 million paying subscribers is staggering and can't be highlighted enough. That's what keeps it in the catbird seat against entrants like Amazon. Amazon, 175 million customers. Now that's a, you know, not an apples to apples, no pun intended number, right? Because they count everybody right. as prime. You got the pay for ones like HBO Max. Again, a tough number to deal with, right? Because it's plus HBO, 45, 50 million subscribers. Right. That's a premium number too, because HBO is, is relatively costly. To highest quality content, of course. And HBO Max showed us the way, right? By going day and date for an entire slate and blowing minds in the process. Uh, paid off, paid off handsomely, right? And that, that first year, they got a nice, pretty nice base set of customers. Pretty impressive growth. Same, yep. thing, for Di- same thing for Disney Plus. Uh, tremendous growth, tremendous cash flow represented by ongoing subscriber base that doesn't seem to be terribly fickle. What I mean by that is I showed up to watch my show and now I'm, now I'm gone and I'm, I'm out. Right, uh, right. So, so there has to be consolidation. There has to be. But it's, it's going to be exciting. Well, for example, what happens with Discovery Plus in the wake of Warner Discovery? Does it, is it standalone? Does it come together with HBO Max? How does Peacock play out? Because Peacock, lots of subs. It was like 55 million subs, but only 10 million are really paying. So that becomes a loss leader for X1. And so there's, there's so much in motion <laughs> In this business, it's, yeah, it's so amazing. it's so neat that I, I think not unlike you, I think I think we're both pretty excited to see how it continues to play out. Yeah, just talk about the the content producers, right? So you have the NBCs of the world, and they have their own platforms, right? So they're they obviously want to give first favored nation status to the peacocks of the world. But what are their thoughts on how they're going to distribute their content to the other platforms? Because they know that not everyone lives on Peacock, so they have to reach consumers on other platforms. Do you have a perspective on that? What what content providers are doing? Well, I I have a perspective. I think everybody's going to take a different tact at it. So I come at this for you know for from a different point of view. My, My family was involved in television syndication, which was. Shows had a network run, an off-net run, and then they went to cable. And maybe sometimes in a shared window, you'd see friends on TBS and TNT and someplace else. And that was very exciting. The idea of getting content from studio to eyeballs has definitely evolved over time. And it was always about the modeling required to find the right audience to most effectively monetize the content via an advertising model. That model's changed. It doesn't really exist in that fashion anymore. 
in streaming, obviously, as we talked about, linear is still there and that model still works. And there's still a fantastic audience represented by broadcast and they're definable and huge. And that's not going away. That's still a, a very valuable audience. But how have things changed for, for streamers? It's just, it just, the model itself has necessarily changed in how you create, market, distribute, and monetize a piece of content. More often than not, you have a very distinct audience in mind before you go to market with it. And it could start from anywhere. It's no longer just a studio business. Goodness, things are showing up first in first run on obviously the, the big silos, right? Apple TV has tremendous first run content. So does Netflix, so does Amazon. So obviously, so does Disney Plus uh, with, with shows like Mandalorian and, and Hawkeye. A very rich IP there. It's interesting. Everything that's old is new again. If you recall, the affiliate model came from not having integrated means of distribution and production. Right? If you had a studio, you had to have a, a syndication on it. That was the financial interest in syndication rules for the nerds among us, where you couldn't own it and sell it. You had to have a separate company to, to sell the content, to represent and sell the content to both represent the maximize the diversity of viewpoints, but by the same token, to prevent a certain amount of market power from occurring and look at where we are today. Yeah. Well, we, I remember CBS buying Paramount. Everyone would kind of drop their coffee cup. And now Amazon's buying studios and the rights packages that they're submitting for live sports. It's really incredible what's mm-hmm. happening. So let's swing it over to the marketer side of the house, right? So we talked about the content producers and the platforms. For a minute, let's talk about what marketers are trying to do and how they're navigating the space, both from an opportunity and challenge perspective. You pick which one you want to start with, challenges or opportunities. Oh, well, we start with challenges because they create opportunities. Data, 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 and data, right? Marketers are desperate for data, and it's that data that will create the value of the content. I, again, I come from this from a content perspective. I was a lawyer at Warner Brothers a billion years ago. So, you know, my head is sort of on the studio side in terms of how to create value for a piece of content. Uh, and it's the newspaper model. We've printed it once. Now let's go sell it a million times uh, to maximize the value of that, that IP. For marketers, my goodness, being able to, again, and remember that's that repeatable, definable audience that creates that value marketers are in a really classy problem and also have a far more difficult one than, than previous advertisers. The classy problem is they're awash in data. They have the ability to, to shift, sift, winnow, and shake an audience out to address and find those who are most likely to be in a buying mode or are most likely to be in search of a particular piece of either content or IP or a product. And those advertisers are able to bid on that avail in a way that was never possible or even contemplated before by previous advertisers. That's a super classy problem to have because a lot of thought has to go into it to find and directly target those folks who are in that buying mode. So classy problem. It's more difficult because it's a problem. There are so many options to pursue that set of eyeballs that finding the right timing in the right location around the right content, right? Contextually aware advertising. 
there are so many more considerations for an advertiser today than there ever were in the past, and it will only get more complex as the market continues to fragment. Opportunity and challenge, they go hand in hand. How do you continue to find the right eyeballs for your avail in the content that most aligns with your brand? These are hard questions to answer. <laughs> for sure. I mean, look, you and I were going back and, and when digital first came out, it was known as the measurement medium, right? And one-to-one marketing. And I think marketers at that time, they were, they were starting to dip their toe, obviously. They knew they had to get there, but it was a little daunting to try and talk to a consumer one-to-one. And now here we are all these years later with data and the, the thirst and, and hunger, as you described, about how much they want to get the data on who the audiences are and, and be able to speak to them. You know, so it's been an interesting evolution and here we are today. Yeah. So we talked about uh, the opportunities and the challenges for marketers. Talk about, um, you talked about addressable there. Talk about that a little bit more and that's the holy grail kind of, right? But so what's the perspective and what's the thoughts there? Well, it always has been. Right? Addressable has always been the holy grail. It probably will always be the holy grail. I don't know so, if we'll actually really get there. <laughs> well, why though, right? I mean, Addressable, Dave Morgan's company, Simon, has been around forever, seemingly. And before that, there were, what was that company? Canvas? Not Canvas. Maybe it was Canvas. I forget. But, you know, it's been talked about for years and years. Why won't it get there? If everybody wants it, why isn't it faster? Good question. We have copyright law, we have the FCC, we have the FTC, we have every manner of government regulation that is both pro-competition and anti-competition in an effort to secure the rights of the populace, to make sure that, to maximize the diversity of viewpoints, and at the same time, make sure that uh, we're uh, not demanding, but really encouraging uh, truth in advertising uh, and trying to punish that, which, which is less than Man, it's it's an incredibly interesting time, right? So why won't addressable happen right away? Because the availability and clear rights to data aren't obvious. There should be a little bit of concern and fear in the market, you know, post-CCPA and all of the the various band-aids on the gunshot wound that is the regulatory environment that content lives in. Right, it's always been a backwards-facing band-aid. If you want to, if you want to try and figure this out, you got to start in, in the Communications Act of '34. <laughs> you got a long way to go right. back, right? Yeah. Right. So this has been a scaffold on top of a scaffold, on top of a scaffold, on top of a scaffold with some plaster on it and a little bit of paint, which has led to the environment we live in today, which is a a not very predictable data environment around eyeballs that we're looking for to provide an opportunity to show off a client, uh, excuse me, a service or a product in the hopes of creating a, an actionable buy. So I, I'd love your opinion. And then if you would give advice to a marketer now about getting into the CTV space or OTT space. So I'll relate a story. A marketer who spends close to a billion dollars in advertising had $100,000 that they wanted to test in CTV. And they spent with their agency over an hour and a half laboring through whether they should do it or not. And they ended up, the agency ended up just saying, look, it's so not worth it. You guys, you're spending so much money. If you're going to labor this much over a hundred grand, I don't even want you to do it. Let's just, you know, we'll just pass on the opportunity. So there are still a ton of advertisers out there that know that people are consuming it 
what would be your advice to them now as they start to get in more and more? The upfront, they shifted budget. They're just running 30s and 60s, et cetera, 15s. But what would your advice be to marketers now? Okay, so this is the fun stuff. Well, for CTV, I love the way you told the story. You came in with 100 grand, yeah, just keep that. You're not going to put a ripple in the water with that 100K. Yeah, especially if it's going <laughs> to so, take you an hour and a half to decide what to do with it. Just we probably spent it in that hour and a half on, on uh, your agency. But it's, that is not going to put a ripple in the water unless it was like a one-time strategic buy of a very particular piece of content, doing some sort of integrated or immersive campaign with something else like, a, like an influencer or a technology launch or a, that by itself, just buying, just buying eyeballs wouldn't be enough to even make noise. If Quibi couldn't get it done with 15s and three months of free service and throwing a billion dollars at launch to try yeah. and get people to show up, 100 grand wasn't going to do it. But if I were looking to try and launch a CTV platform today, well, ubiquity is number one. If Netflix taught us anything, it's that you got to go for the let a thousand flowers bloom strategy. You have to be on every platform. You can't pick and choose. You can't play favorites. Because if you do, while you launch, it might be real hard. You, so actually, part- I don't mean to interrupt, but I will. It's impossible now. If you're a content provider, it's very difficult, unless you're a big brand name, to get on every platform. Platforms just aren't accepting content the way they were five years ago. So that's a whole other thing, right? Here I'm launching. How do I get my content on every platform? I I interjected there, but think about that too as you go through your thoughts. First off, I love when people interrupt me and otherwise it turns into a lecture from Professor Greenblatt and no one wants that. (laughs) Especially not at home, let me tell you. That's good to know. No one wants that. (laughs) You're not wrong, but that's always been the rub is getting content onto an affiliate platform. That's always been the rub, right? Why else did must carry retransmission consent happen? Because cable wasn't inclined to put NP, you know, uh, PBS on because they didn't get the advertising in, in show. <laughs> so there's always right. a need right. for the diversity of viewpoints and getting your content for, God, do you remember what a firm go was? You had to cover a certain amount of the country via deals right. with your content in order to get a firm go. I think it was 70 or 80% for a firm go. My point being is that it's always been hard to get complete carriage for a piece of content, unless it's network run, then off net, then the traditional model that we all saw. Or it's big budget or tentpole kind of massive marketing effort behind it, like a, you know, like a piece of theatrical content. But if I were a CTV provider, I'd say rule number one is get on the platform, right? And that's going to have to be through creative business terms, That's going to have to be through, I can get you and provide you data like no one else can on my consumers. And my content speaks to a very particular set of consumers that you are underrepresented in and you really need my content. The integration required is also pretty important. It can't be kludgy. It has to be snappy. It has to feel like it was, I mean this by the UI, it has to feel like it was a native app. Right? It can't be one of those clunky, awful, browser-based, lots of macro blocking and takes a year and a day to start a stream and stop a stream and fast forward and rewind breaks the stream and right. you know, all the trick mode stuff doesn't work. If you're even remote, you're going to get one chance at that. That is not delightful. 
consumers will give you one chance. And if it's a bad experience, you lost because there's just too much noise to compete in for presenting content that they could likely find someplace else if they looked. And then anything less than enjoyable and easy to use and obvious and ubiquitous fashion. Got it. Okay. Anything else you want to kind of high level talk about or what you're seeing or advice you would give to marketers, content producers? I mean, you covered a lot here, but uh, <laughs> put a bow on it. But what are you pounding your your hand on your desk wanting people to do? Oh, I, I gently suggest I don't jump on the table anymore. <laughs> That, that was the previous consulting job. This, this one's far more uh, genteel. This is going to be about integration and immersive ad campaigns. This is the, if you are looking to get it right. And let me tell you, I don't know that anybody has gotten it 100% right because it's really hard. But integrated opportunities across both content production and delivery, regardless of network. And what I mean by network is like access network. So if I'm Verizon, T-Mobile, AT&T, U.S. Cellular, how am I integrated to various affiliate platforms? Because dying on one hill is a bad idea, right? You don't want to be just locked into one. By the same token, scarcity does create value in content. And if you've got the content, well, then maybe it is okay to lock into a single silo. But I'll tell you, if what we're talking about is the mass appeal, mass market appeal, you're obviously going to want to try and aggregate, because what is content? But aggregation, the aggregators of aggregators, you're going to want to provide that mass market feel to attract the, or or to be of interest to the largest number of your subscribers. That's for retention, for acquisition. Well, that's where the niche is. I have to entice you to come to both my delivery network. It could be any of the streamers that we talked about. It could be any of the mobile network operators we talked about or broadband providers we talked about. I have to entice you to come to my delivery space. And then I have to entice you to purchase a service while you're there. None of these things are easy. And being able to do it in integrated fashion, combining message with medium, right, Uh is the most effective way to create a pleasing, delightful experience for new entrants to the space. So I actually have another question. Let's talk about pricing models from the platforms. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy what's going on right now. They know they have to increase their pricing, but when is enough enough? Right? What are consumers going to say? What are you hearing out there? What are consumers talking about? So I have to point you to share of wallet. Right Before the share of wallet was easy to figure out. There was a certain amount of discretionary income that went to technology or communication spend. Back in the day when I was a kid, you know, it was like $100 a month. Now that seems quaint. You know, when your cell phone bill is $150 a month, <laughs> when your cable bill could be... 250 to $300 a month, depending on the kind of services and number of set-top boxes, et cetera. And that's before you get into streaming, right? Before you get into, well, I paid for the Disney bundle, so I get these three services, but then I also wanted HBO, so I paid for this service, but I didn't get it. I didn't have to pay for it because I paid for cable. But now I, there are so many different concerns and considerations that the pricing model will reflect the greatest opportunity for acquisition and nothing else because anything else is just, is just crystal ball work. So the best any streamer can do in terms of acquisition mode is 
do, do the best it can to model out what's going to keep customers sticky. Continue to provide content that keeps customers sticky. Remember that scarcity of content also is sticky because if I have to come back every Wednesday to see the new episode because you're dropping them slowly and not in one fell swoop, hey, look, I can just go binge eight seasons, you know, three seasons, five apps per of a given show and then disconnect. Make sure that trials are good, but three-month trials aren't. That's a poor choice. We learned, we, we saw that. And conversion, sure, it's great. Free trial is great. But having a high conversion rate is the end game. It, well, it's the everything game. It's not just the end game. If you, if you don't have a reasonably high conversion rate, you're going to have a whole lot of trouble. Because it, then what that's saying is your value prop, the cost value equation, am I getting the, a good value for the dollars I pay, is all upside down. And your content, the thing that was keeping you sticky, has already become less valuable because someone came in and watched it all and left. So Got it. The, the model is hard. None of this is easy. None of this is simple. If it were simple, no. everybody would do it. I mean, look, you know, the, the platforms want to start producing original content to try and stay in pace on pace, but how are they going to pay for that? Right. They can't do it through four ninety nine or three months free or whatever it is. They got to jack it up. So it'll be interesting to see where the appetite ends for consumers. You can only uh, rob Peter to pay Paul for so long. The debt comes due now. Like we talked about, Netflix at 215 million subs times, just pick a number. Let's call it $10 a month. It's not, but let's call it take an average number, $10 a month, because I can do that math. That, that is an extraordinary amount of cash inbound every month. That's how you create first-run content that's so compelling is by throwing money at it. But it, it's not just money. Ask any very deep-pocketed telecommunications company or technology company that tried to do that, that tried to get into content. I mean, heck, Intel tried to get into content. They have endless dollars. That cost them over a billion dollars to find out that that's, it's too hard. So content's hard. Creating good content's even harder. Getting it to market, particularly difficult. Getting it to market in a way that retains eyeballs, fairly difficult. None of this is easy. Yeah, it's not. It's not. Anything else you want to uh, pontificate about? <laughs> I haven't done that enough. <laughs> well, I figured I'd give you one more chance in case I didn't cover something with you. Oh, what, what I don't want to give you the. I don't want to give you the. Where do we go from here? But where do we I go love, from here? That's my favorite panel wrap-up question of all time. Where do we go <laughs> from here? It's you're going to see more of the same, and by the same, I mean rapid change. This is a really cool time to be in this space because you're going to see all sorts of new things tried. The speed of innovation and iteration has gone way up, right? Because we can market test, we can A-B test really fast. The transition to digital marketing from the analog world of content just sped up this. Tack on a pandemic and you have a perfect opportunity as well as a perfect storm of trying out new opportunities to bring content to market to see what sticks and what doesn't. We've thrown a lot of spaghetti of late. We're going to continue throwing spaghetti and we'll, we'll see what kind of dinner we end up with. Good. Ian, thank you so much for spending the time with me this morning. I'm looking forward to catching up on 2000, literally the year 2000, 1998, all that fun stuff uh, when I see you next. You bet. Count on it. it. Oh, it's all my right. pleasure, Andrew. Thanks for having us. All right. You be well. <laughs>